0: How the transport industry helps cope with the uh, coronavirus is often seen as very one-dimensional steps. Travel less, keep your distance. But there are many factors that interplay in the services we provide and the way the public uses them. It might seem simple until there is a catastrophe. Wendy Adam has a long career in transport planning and management and has given much to the industry, including being the branch presidents in New South Wales and Queensland for the Australian Institute of Transport Planning and Management. Wendy, thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you, David. Good to talk.
0: We've gone through a number of issues and I think they're very, very important. Uh, let's, Let's start with some of the specific details. We do things in transport which are helpful in short-term measurements, but they can have long-term value to them. They can have unintended consequences. What would be an example of that?
1: Well, certainly, I mean, transport essentially is a derived demand. We do it so that we can accomplish other things. But like all sort of logistics exercises, uh, that supply chain of uh, Work can be extremely important. For example, um, when I was working at State Transit quite a, a few years ago, uh, where we had the, the biggest bushfire threat to Sydney, and at that stage, the government uh, used the transport as a logistic exercise to get. Firefighters to uh, rest and relieve uh, troops and things like that. The other aspect of of that is during uh, strikes, which we fortunately haven't had too many of. But we use um, public transport to convey people, uh, you know, during um, uh, other sort of shortages of of. petrol or if trains are going down, uses buses or use train, um, trains if buses are going down. So having that flexibility is extremely important. And, of course, we all know the sort of special events aspects of going. The Olympics was a big um, legacy, and there were transit legacy issues that we took off from the Olympics, but also um, things like um, – you know, major uh, sporting events, even the Easter show, which has been cancelled for Sydney this year, but would have been primarily served by the uh, transit network.
0: Now, there's some things there that, down to the detailed level, where we perfect a system such as paying bus drivers a fairly poor amount, but uh, compensating them in other ways, but then they fall over. I think you've raised that as a concern with events
1: well that's right i mean bus drivers are um are are skilled workers they have to go through the training and but you know we also try and struggle to keep the prices of those sorts of um important social services down so there's um There's a a base wage, but of course a lot of them derive uh, significant parts of their income and and reliably so from sporting events, uh, uh, special um, charters for schools, uh, all those sorts of things that are going to be contracting now. And so people are going to find it, even if they're in work much harder to make their their ends meet because a lot of those additional income sources dry up. But it, it's rather funny to observe as is, is somebody, uh, I pointed this out, that I always give extra time on Mondays to get to work um, because the drivers would have all had, had a lot of uh, take-home pay over the weekend for various... Major sports events or something that had been going on on the weekend, and of course then they wouldn't show up on Monday because they'd uh, <laughs> needed a break and uh, had had earned sufficient money for the time but that aside um that that's a real issue, and of course um You know the the people who serve the coffee to the people who queue at the bus stops and and all those other little amplifiers are going to go on the people who have the kiosks in the train stations.
0: See, quite often we might say, "Oh well, look, it's it's all comes out in the wash." You know, it's good that we're paying them enough because of all these things. Yet it takes a catastrophe to say, "Well, hang on." you know what happens if you take one element out of that but there are some benefits too you know, something like the opal card that that's something that was it considered how good that might be if we had a, a pandemic situation
1: well it it never was of course it was we were looking at how much it would potentially improve um, the passenger's experience by not having to to get change or or worry about tickets but uh, it's had quite a good and healthy impact because by not handling change which is a vector for disease and currency um, and the fact that basically only the passenger needs to hold the card uh, there's no interplay possible it's probably uh, kept public transport a lot safer uh, than it would have been otherwise
0: oh yes of course it it makes a big difference doesn't it that uh, in in many ways it's not only safer but it feels safer certainly for the drivers and so on that there's not that sort of money around
1: that's right and uh, and much easier to uh, clock off at the end of the day without having to to balance all their accounts too
0: (laughs) we talk a lot of uh, the time about the transport for people with disabilities and them not being isolated Really, the coronavirus has focused our attention because it might now happen to us, yeah, is that one of the implications that you think if if so, how much do you think that might focus our attention
1: well that and and you know because this is uh, a lot of discussion on how the elderly uh, population and those already with um, you know, various impairments might suffer from this more and and need to get to places like uh testing clinics and hospitals and and all of that. Uh, that's why transit stayed a, an essential service and, you know, is is probably safer with the additional care that they're taking and cleaning than Say even taking a taxi or an opal because you are more immediately uh, in contact with the driver and the previous passengers. Um, but the the fact that we uh, need to have transit, maybe the way the supermarkets have been talking, if we find we can't get the uh, the crowds. Down or people need to be reassured to use it, um, you know, having dedicated times where you know freeing transit for the uh, those who need to make the those essential trips uh, and might be a bit slower and need less crowded conditions in order to do that. And you know we are used to taking uh, transit on on time restrictions and before, you know in the old days the senior tickets would only apply out of certain hours but we've we've all uh, probably can remember how to do that again if we need to.
0: yes it's it's interesting isn't it? getting down to even some details where it may make us look at the overall situation. you have a feeling about queuing.
1: that's right. Um, you know if we need to take more space and People may discover as they uh, they queue at a, at a socially distance appropriate uh, intervals that actually it speeds the loading uh, in many ways. And on trains, you know, one of the the interesting thing is just trying to get people to to go along platforms so that all the carriages have a, a more even load in them rather than just the the ones near the the uh, middle platforms or or where major escalators come down in the CBD. Um, This may uh, actually assist operations and perhaps there'll be some legacy learnings from uh, that sort of behavior as we go through.
0: Well, we've benefited from the digital technology that can give us uh, trip planning and other things that I can look up in my old day if you wanted to look at a bus timetable it was a cardboard (laughs) thing in the kitchen drawer which was incomprehensible, small print and out of date whereas now Mm -hmm. technology perhaps that technology may go further and start saying where the empty seats are or even the seats where you don't have to sit beside someone else in a carriage
1: (laughs) Well certainly the loadings um, are available. Um, I know that uh, the Department of Transport was using the fact that we tap off on our, our, um, our Opal tickets mm. from buses. They were actually able to use that information to tell people on oncoming uh, buses how busy they might be because that was always a concern. With real time information, you could tell people when the next bus was there, but you couldn't tell them if there was it actually be able to stop because uh, it had capacity still left on it. So they are using that information already. I don't know if that's been widely rolled out, but it certainly is a possibility. And of course, for people with hearing or visual issues and the fact that your phone can be not only um your your uh your little pocket calculator to tell you about the arrivals and all of that, but it, and how you can pay your uh ticket now is if you have your Opal sort of integrated with your visa on your your phone. You can also use it to um to talk to the drivers or translate if if we get back to having so, the 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 pocket computers of phones are a huge huge benefit to people who, um, you know, have have hearing visual because they can get it uh, uh, spoken to them by their phone. the the next coming um, buses or the next coming train, uh, and that's all you know, something that's really improved in our lifetime and how people have access to to transit.
0: Yes, and of course the APL card means that I don't spend as much time getting on and off, well, getting on and paying the thing. The freight industry, do you think that we will see changes? There certainly are calls for changes. What sort of changes might happen?
1: I know. Well, I, of course, we've all been watching the uh, the logistics change to supermarkets with great interest, and I I was reading how people were actually following uh, delivery trucks to um, to supermarkets to get the the uh, toilet paper and hand sanitizer that they needed. Um, but it was interesting that I did hear our premier in New South Wales say. That they were going to take off the restrictions that many loading bays face um, in urban areas, mainly to protect nearby residents from from noise. They were going to lift those, and that was always something that the logistics operators said to the road network is that we would do a lot more out of our deliveries if it were possible. But, of course, a lot of the amenity restrictions on shopping centers were imposing inefficiencies on the transit network, if you like. Um, and if those get lifted, it will be interesting to, to see if uh, the logistics companies really take them uh, to heart, certainly with uh, the pop-up Um, distribution centers that they're talking about, which would give potentially, um, you know, shorter trips by basically having a couple of centers. It'll be interesting to see just if we do get a bit of shifting of hours. Although, you know, with the uh, shutdowns that we're seeing in activities, traffic is going to not actually uh, be such an issue on our streets. And, and roads, but certainly for for highways and and logistics centres, this could be a, a really interesting trial. And of course, the whole home delivery aspect that's being talked about, which will be reinstated now that it's shopping centres and how they introduce them for high priority users initially, and then bring them out um, more widely for people, um, and and I saw an interview with Ida Buttrose in the newspaper saying that the ABC was doing all their executive meetings now by Zoom um, or one of these um, uh, you know, virtual meeting centers and saying it's actually working out quite well. I think a lot of companies will start to discover they could save a lot of, of taxi fares, airfares and, and things like that by using these technologies because – this is getting it out. So it's getting through that initial, oh, I have to download it. I'll have to learn how to use it. All of that. Once that happens, um, then it gets easier to use for, for everyone. And, of course, older people who are being told to isolate themselves, um, and I hear this is, uh, as an older person myself, uh, from the, the people are saying, oh, I've had to learn how to use um, Skype or uh, use uh, Instagram chats and things like that to keep in touch with their 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 loved ones. Uh, and I think that knowledge that you know we don't do it when we're comfortable and following our routines, but when we have something extraordinary, we uh, we all learn how to use these things, and that uh, that really makes a difference ongoing.
0: Now, one of those might be getting home delivery. Mm-hmm. I had the situation where I went out to try and buy a cable to work out, to link my phone to a microphone or so on. And the standard cable was going to cost $35 to $40. I looked it up online. Now, in fairness, I've got to add the delivery charge in there to get that delivered to me, cost me
1: $3.71
0: mm-hmm. I mean that's not to del- that's the whole price. That's right. That's to buy it and have and have it delivered I have become aware of home delivery but boy that brought it home so to speak
1: And here in Australia with the Australia Post doing so much of our delivery I compare it with the US system where there's a lot more private dominance in that home delivery market from the, the FedExes and the UPS's of the thing and and so there is a lot more traffic generated from that than there is from from the Australia Post more centralized service because they're able to to use their whole logistics networks, which is really quite interesting, plus making Australia Post a lot more financially um, sound than uh, some of the other Post services that is in, in the world. But I think this whole... Um, Realizing how, um, fragile the gig economy and the, the whole, um, you know, just pay for service, which is fine as long as service is a, is a, a steady and forecastable amount. But when you get events like the ones we're living through now, or even the, the fire systems, fires that we had earlier in the summer, people realise that there's a lot more variability in our lives and maybe that's why we didn't have you know, this kind of um, pay-for-service as, as, as much as a part of the economy as we currently do.
0: See, the interesting thing is that it may lead to other solutions. For example, we don't want trucks delivering in the middle of the night because of noise. So that might push us towards electric trucks or electric-driven devices. It doesn't necessarily even have to be a truck. What they're talking about in CBDs of having a situation where you transfer to delivery devices rather than have a big truck turn up in the in the centre of the city. There's, there's, I'm not saying that is the absolute solution, yet it is a catastrophe like this that may actually make us get up and do it.
1: That's right. We are all guilty of complacency and that's, that's actually rational. If the situation doesn't change, why should we? But this has created an opportunity for a lot of these things to happen. I know I've been sort of speculating with myself, really reading about how, you know, when the Chinese markets were all shutting down and not buying Australia's natural gas, which we have a very, very small, um, resource um, uh, sort of supply that we keep strategically in it as we've gotten more and more of these natural gas buses which are quieter and uh, and so much more efficient to run because the natural gas is local and all diesel is imported uh, diesel is delivered by tanker vans but the gas comes through the the pipeline system so you know, the amount of um, uh, savings for uh, environmental um, efficiency are, are tremendous. But are we now building up that stockpile of gas or are we still um, committed to all those overseas contracts? It would be interesting to find out if that's going to make some differences and and real financial uh, savings for uh, our operators of uh, vehicles around the place and of course whether or not things like the light rail which is more electricity based are going to to find the same economies of scale that say um, the 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 bus services or the ubers or even the bicycle courier couriers of food which uh, um, are increasingly uh, taking up space on our roads and and doing things very environmentally soundly.
0: <laughs> you know, but I think then that the coronavirus or any catastrophe has helped us go back to not just justifying something because a few, you know, a lot of people might get on it, but saying, well, what does it really serve the whole need?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That we too often just measure from a supply side or put supply situations but not necessarily from understanding the complexity of the demand side and that what this is doing is making us be more detailed in our understanding of the variety and the complexities of demand rather than assuming everyone just turns up at a bus stop and goes how much do we need to try and improve our understanding of those complexities
1: i think it it will help a lot of, of that. And of course, it also helps with, I've heard people and, you know, with a certain amount of panic and precautionary principles saying, we need to shut this down. We need to do this because I don't need this service. But getting the pushback and hearing, you know, well, this is why this is still important to people and, and getting people to defend and say, no, we can do this better. Um, teaches us all a lot of lessons. Um, And that sort of re-examination I hope people will take forward because some of what we learn will be uh, very instructive for uh, better operations in the future, I believe.
0: You use the expression essential service. It's a common one, but a very good one, really. Is that something then that it's harder for the private industry to provide particularly if we've focused in the short term of surviving with everything being, quote, normal, uh, and then it's hard then for that to adapt to a catastrophe and really that a government has to maintain services and conditions not just on the short-term immediate financial return but the long-term benefit... Do you think this might shift us back to a better understanding of community service and keeping things that are necessary for the long term?
1: I, I would like to, to think that. Certainly, as as you devolve public essential services to the private sector, because people are concerned... Um, they get a lot of regulation. They get locked into, you know, you must provide this service. You must do this. You must do that. You must get our approval before you put extra on because it might put, you know, subsidy requirements on the state. So it, it builds a lot of inflexibility. It can't be commanded the way where can, as you say, can command the trains to run and we'll talk about it a little later about what that's going to do to budgets and things like that because um, so the private sector in some ways because of the the regulation that the government puts on them if they are in an essential service they're highly regulated so it makes it even harder to be responsive um, to this kind of, of, of restriction um, and while I, I saw in the the paper that they're talking about not um, holding boards responsible if if companies technically trade while insolvent during this crisis, that's going to be very hard for people to decide what they're going to do and what their li- legal liability will be long-term, um, whereas government has that ability to act on all our parts. Um, so I think think people will start to to consider that and where I live here in eastern suburbs of Sydney that's a huge political issue right now the policy of whether or not to continue privatizing um, large parts of our public transport network.
0: You see a private company in normal conditions can't operate when it's insolvent but a government can subsidise a service for a long-term benefit. Christchurch found that, and I'm not saying whether it's private or government, they certainly found that the shift away from trips to the city totally undermined public transport services in in terms of revenue from fares. So that undermined the long-term potential, whereas the government may be able to wear that loss either both in the short term or even it's subsidised anyway, it's wearing a loss for a broader public issue. So it might wear a bigger loss in a catastrophe in order to maintain the long-term benefit.
1: Yes, it certainly could do that. And, of course, that's exactly, you know, when we talk about calling in the National uh, Guard or, or getting some of the um, uh, the army to do the logistics that I mean, that's exactly the same kind of thing. We can use our our government owned assets that way. And um, you know, with tongue in cheek I, I saw uh the Sydney Morning Herald article on the weekend from Jacqueline Maley saying, you know, well we're all socialists now, i.e. we can we're using our resources for the social good, but that is exactly what they're for.
0: Yes, there has been almost a sectarian divide that says that anything like that must be bad. And when everything's running as you think you understand it, then you start doing mechanisms, you drive down costs and so on. But that can be extremely short term. Mm -hmm. I guess the catastrophe and the transport as a community service Mm -hmm. is broadening our perception enormously. That's right. Well, perhaps broadening, but making us think community more than individual. Do you think that might be one of the lasting impacts of this?
1: Well, I don't. I don't know. With the social distancing, of course, and uh, and trying to to keep uh, community alive when you're not <laughs> supposed to gather in groups and things like that, is going to make a lot of this hard. And it's be interesting to see. And I and here's where uh, I reveal my age. You know when everybody says well we're you know we're setting up uh all these electronic uh, uh way to keep together uh, um through through various social networks and and use that to to help people out um i think that's that's going to be good and continue um uh, but it it also tends to be more um age-related, on the people who can avail themselves of a lot of that, too.
0: To avail yourself of government services now needs a computer, an internet access, and uh, an ability to cope with ever-updating, which <laughs> means changing systems. I, I struggle. Wendy, I love the conversation. I really appreciate that. It helps us, I think, uh, expand wonderfully into a more complete idea of what we might be able to do. Thank you very much for your time.
1: Oh, thank you, David. And uh, let's hope we all take as many learning opportunities (laughs) as we can from this very extraordinary situation we find ourselves in.
0: I wish I had have said that. Oh, I think I will.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, David.
0: Thanks very much. Good to talk to you. And that's Wendy Adam, who has had a long career in transport planning and management and given much to the industry and in a very thoughtful way, not just in terms of short-term solutions, but a long-term understanding.